0: Is Dave Ramsey a joke or a genius? He is the biggest name in personal finance. He is popular, opinionated, controversial, and deeply influential. His radio show is among the top five talk radio shows in the United States and is heard by 13 million listeners each week on more than 600 different radio stations. In short, he created an empire. He has helped many get out of debt and is widely respected by many. However, he has many failings as well. We wanted to break down what is good about Dave Ramsey as well as what is not so good.
1: Yeah. So I think starting with the good, one of my favorite things of Dave's is his baby steps. He has these seven baby yeah. steps to financial peace. And I think it's great because it gives people a good framework to make decisions, right? Of where should I put my money first? And he helps you just understand that best course of action next. Yeah.
0: And these are typically people that have never really taken on the the steps of taking control of their personal finance, right? Yeah. So like they're really new to this. They don't know where to begin. And I think Dave Ramsey is very good about just, hey, like here's how you kind of break into this field and take control of your financial life.
1: Yeah, exactly. He says, get a thousand bucks saved up. Once you do that, pay off your debt. once you do that, here's the next step. So I think that's great. Um, Another thing he has, which is pretty controversial, is his debt snowball method.
0: Yeah. I actually really like the debt snowball. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, the debt snowball method is essentially saying, if you have high-yielding debt, how do you pay this off? And he takes the controversial opinion of pay off the smallest balance first rather than Mm -hmm. the smallest interest rate or the highest interest rate first. So it is controversial, but we side with that viewpoint Yeah, uh, because it's proven to work, get those small wins under your belt. And once you start to get that momentum of paying off your debt, you're more likely to be successful. So Yeah.
1: Most people in finance like the paying off the higher interest rate first, but it ignores that we're human beings and you need to take action. And so Dave has helped millions of people get out of debt. So we really Mm -hmm. like that debt snowball method. Yeah. Um, he's also big on just lifestyle, right? So he gives, when people call into a show, he gives much needed, tough love sometimes of helping people understand how they got where they are today. And he doesn't necessarily coddle you. He lets you know what you need to hear to try to maybe get out of debt and take that next step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's all about ownership, taking accountability of your own actions. And those methods just seem to really work, right? It's, it's, You know, money is a very emotional thing. Yeah. And it's easy to be uh, very regretful and to live in fear under under money. And so he's just all about the facts. You got to just like pull on your bootstraps or pull up your bootstraps and just get to it. Yeah. Just take control of it. They've
1: built this great community now with Ramsey where a lot of people don't have anybody else to talk to about money or they don't feel like there's any other person in their life they can really chat about these things. And so they've built a great online community where people can try to figure out some of these answers to their questions.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things that I like Dave Ramsey about is his terms on life insurance. So he <laughs> yep. he hates whole life. He hates annuities. And, and you know me, and if, and if you know me at all, I am not a life insurance fan in general, um, except for term. And Dave Ramsey is a term insurance fan, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, he's had some people call into the show. We've seen some of those clips, and they get pretty heated. Some insurance people call in, and they're <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Why are you bashing us? But he yeah. takes a really hard stance, and he does this on all topics, which is why he's pretty controversial to a lot of people.
0: There is no flexibility with it. No,
1: that. he's just, hey, this doesn't work. And I agree. He's pretty much right. For 99% of the people, you should be looking at a simple term life insurance policy and skipping all the complicated, permanent yeah. whole life. So I really like that stance as well.
0: Yep, I do. Well, let's talk about the bad things with Dave Ramsey. Okay, so, sorry, Dave. Um, in in general, if, if I were to phrase this, so if you were to follow Dave Ramsey, follow Dave Ramsey when it comes to getting out of debt. Yep, and and most like small like personal management like lifestyle personal, choices. He's lifestyle correct. choices. He's really really good. Yes. On. When it comes to investing, do not follow Dave Ramsey. Don't do it. His advice is very very poor. <laughs> So let's begin with uh, the big one where he says uh, you should be averaging about twelve percent returns on on your investments over yep. the long term. Yeah, um, that's pretty high. I don't think that's yeah. realistic for just it's a about gentle anybody. way of putting it. Yeah,
1: it's above what historical averages are. It's tough to know where he exactly gets this number from. Um, you could cherry pick to get twelve yeah, percent. You could go look at the S and P five hundred from like nineteen fifties on and just skip. Few pretty important decades of U.S. market performance. Yeah, don't um,
0: don't look at the 1930s or the 1940s. Yeah, the Great, depression, the Great never depression, happened. Depression, don't or worry
1: about World that. War II. Don't worry about that.
0: Yeah. So, so that's, that's a okay. that's a
1: pretty big one. <laughs> um, one of the next big ones he has is he's a very big fan of active management, which means when you're investing, he chooses and he promotes going through a mutual fund that is actively picking stocks, trying to beat the market in general. So somewhere between the last ten and forty years. A general average is somewhere around a third of the mutual funds, the growth stock mutual funds have outperformed the S&P.
0: And so this is basically ignoring survivorship bias. Yeah. So within survivorship bias, basically what you're saying is we're only looking at what has actually survived. But in reality, he's ignoring a lot of different mutual funds that performed really poorly and shut down and is no longer included in this data.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if I run a mutual fund company and my fund is having a terrible first five years, it's losing to the S&P 500 and that's my benchmark. What's one way I can remove that from my overall firm's performance? Close the fund down, merge it into another fund, change the benchmark. And this happens an astonishing amount of times. It's actually the higher likelihood is that a fund will shut down than survive over 15 years. So only about 43% of mutual funds survive over a 15-year span. So if you're looking at just those ones that remain, and only looking at that data, you might see, oh, a third of mutual funds might might make yeah. it and survive. And that's that number he throws out there, is that, oh, sometimes you'll see him say a third of funds beat their benchmark, half the funds. He moves around a little bit with that target. But right. if you're excluding these funds that shut down, you're doing some horrible, dangerous research. There's yeah. no way around it.
0: So Standard & Poor's did a really good job of reincorporating those funds that actually were shut down. So if you were to account for those funds, of mutual funds have underperformed the S&P 500 over the past 15 years. Yeah. So that's that's the real number. It's not a pretty number. Yeah. It's not a pretty number. Not a pretty number. So the next one is going to be, do winners keep on winning? I
1: buy mutual funds that outperform the S&P 500 and my portfolio mix that I just outlined is pretty much always beats the market because I buy funds that outperform the market. It's you know, not that hard to do. You open up the prospectus and there's two little lines on the graph. One of them is the S&P 500. If the mutual fund you're looking at, if that line is below that S&P 500 line, don't buy that fund. This is hard. Really not that much to this.
0: Well, what's the problem with this approach? It simply doesn't work.
1: Doesn't work at all. He's basically looking at what we call past performance. And we know past performance is not always an indicator of what will happen in the future. So Dave's saying it's so easy to pick a winning mutual fund Why would you invest in an index fund? Like, just look at a chart, find one that's performed well over the past 10 years. That's one and pick that. He even goes on in some of his shows. He says, if I go to a horse race, I'm just going to pick the horse that's won all the races. But investing is not horse racing. This is a very different world. And so thinking that, hey, I'm going to pick the winning fund the past 10 years. Will it continue? It's so incredibly incorrect. And all of the data shows the total opposite is going to happen.
0: Yeah. Again, Standard & Poor's looked at this as well. And so what they call it is they call it the persistency. So what is the likelihood of a top performing mutual fund to outperform over in the future? So what they did is they said, let's look at the top quintile, right? So the top 20% of mutual funds over the past five years. And and how many of those funds are going to be in the top quintile over the next five years? And so usually it's about less than 1%. I think the average is about (laughs) 0.7%. It's not good. And over the past, the most recent data over this this last five years, zero of those funds that were in the top quintile actually made it into the next five years. So you'd actually have better luck doing the exact opposite of what Ramsey suggests.
1: I mean, that's a horrible stat. So basically, (laughs) if you're trying to do what Dave says and go, okay, let me just look at what's done the best the past five years. I'm going to pick those. That's what he says. The odds are basically less than 1%. Any of those top funds from the past five years will be in the top the next five years. So you can't even rely on what's happened in the past. And what we see, the data shows oftentimes, as you mentioned, it's the total opposite.
0: Yeah. Brutal. Okay. Let's let's move on to withdrawal rates. So retirement income. He says that you can withdraw 8% of your account value inflation adjusted each year.
1: Yeah, this is dangerous. That's an
0: astronomically very high number. Typically, you want to stick with what's called the 4% rule. So what this is saying is whenever you're retired and you're withdrawing from your portfolio, you can safely pull out of your portfolio 4% each year, and you should be pretty safe with that. Now, that number's been being revised down lately because expected returns of of the markets are are coming down. Um, But he's saying 8% inflation adjusted. It's
1: a big number. That's a
0: great way to draw your portfolio down to zero.
1: Yeah. And if you expect what we said earlier, if he's saying you're going to get 12% returns on your investments and then you can take out 8% a year, this is just a recipe for disaster to happen of somebody thinking, how much do I need to save to be financially independent or make work optional? If you're thinking, hey, I'm going to earn 12% a year for the next 10 years, and then I can take out 8%, you're going to drastically undershoot how much you need to save or how much you need to have saved up to truly be able to retire one day.
0: Either that or you're going to be retiring whenever you're 90 years old and you die at 95. Then that strategy yeah. will work.
1: It's, it's flat out malpractice,
0: some <laughs> of this stuff. It's really bad. Like, I don't see how, how else that can work. Yeah, that's, it's that's- brutal. That's so amazing. trying
1: to think of why would he say some of this stuff? Now, he does have a program, which is pretty interesting. It's called the Smart Vester Pro. And so this is basically advisors that are endorsed by Dave Ramsey. Yeah. There's about 1,500, it seems like, from the research we can do of how many All people across participate. America. All across America. Yeah. He talks about it a lot on his show when he's talking about picking mutual funds. He says, hey, get somebody in your life that can help you pick these funds. Doesn't right. matter how they charge. Doesn't matter what they do. Just get somebody that's that's on your side. And that has a lot of good things. There's always... Yes. help to have somebody to chat to about this. Yeah. You want an
0: expert on your on but your side for sure.
1: There's some unique features of this program that, that maybe aren't the best.
0: Yeah. So I actually looked into this in, in years ago. Um, never seriously considered it, but I did look into it. Um, the biggest one is there is no designation or education requirement to be an advisor on the Smart Vester Pro program.
1: So just a minimum license, right? Just Which, You can have just gotten licensed two months ago.
0: Yeah, which you can do. I mean, you could go out there and you can take a test in three months and you could be a financial advisor. The barrier to entry in this industry is really really low. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, there is no fiduciary requirement. So these advisors don't have to place your interest before their own, meaning that they can charge commissions and sell products to you to make sure that they get paid first before what needs to be done for you is going to be done.
1: Yeah. They're not fee only so that's a big thing somebody might not be aware that again you're going to show up and you're going to have some advisor that's selling you a product right yeah tough to know if that's going to be in your best interest or because they make more money to recommend that Um, there's no planning requirement so oftentimes somebody might be going to this thinking oh this is going to be a financial planner i'm working with not realizing you're just going to somebody that's gonna just throw some mutual fronzi way. that's about it Um, the only one major requirement they have is that they pay dave ramsey that's the one big requirement. So there
0: is a monthly, There's fee, a or a mon- quarterly monthly
1: fee. fee that they're yeah. going to have. Um, Dave calls it the endorsement fee. So again, it's not bad. Hey, it's getting people access. The one thing I do like is he forces, not forces, but that might sound extreme. But anybody that's a part of that program has to work with everybody, right? No, so it's if you're coming force. in, yeah. it's, it's probably a good way of putting yeah. it. I tried to make it gentle. But <laughs> any advisor, if they call in, you've got to work yeah. with them no matter what. That can be a good thing because it does open up to some people getting advice. But we would just question what type of advice are they actually getting? Are they getting valuable independent advice? Yeah.
0: I mean, unfortunately, just the simple economics of this industry, if you don't have a certain number, you can't get in front of a financial advisor. Like yeah. if you don't have 500000 or $1 million in investable assets, chances are you're not going to be getting good financial advice unless you're willing to pay out of pocket for it. But yeah. under this program, you know, if you want to be a Dave Ramsey smart investor advisor, Um, You have to work with everybody, people who have a zero net worth, people who are just starting out. You have to work with them. But again, there is no planning requirement. There is no fiduciary requirement. And so I am sure that a lot of these individuals are getting pitched products by these advisors. So just doesn't doesn't feel good to me. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem right. Makes sense. Um, So So. Dave's
1: also very hardcore on being anti-debt. Even when it comes to a home mortgage, she said before, you know, if you can't afford a 15 year mortgage, can't afford the house. Um, I think there could be a lot of debate here on is all debt, bad debt.
0: Well, given that two thirds of the U.S. population lives in the West Coast or the East Coast where, you know, home prices are still very elevated. I just don't see how one can afford not to. (laughs) It's really tough. Just have your normal traditional 30 year fixed mortgage. Or
1: buying your home cash. It's just it's just really, really hard to pull this off. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He takes another pretty hard stance on student loans. Um, again, yeah. just anti-debt. There could be a lot of arguments. Again, we've got trillions in student loan debt, so it's not a good situation. But yeah. when you think about somebody where he's saying, hey, don't go unless you can pay for it, that's really tough, especially if you're looking at an advanced degree,
0: something yeah. like medical school, medical school, law school, business school, business whatever. school, yeah.
1: things that have been proven to increase income levels and increase wealth. It's really tough to know if that's the the best. I mean,
0: obviously, I mean, it's, I, there's a lot of truth in what he says, but he's a very much of a hardliner. Like, there is no room for negotiation on here. Like, I'm not about student debt at all, but I have student debt. I don't have it. I did have student debt whenever I went to graduate school, and it sucked. But I paid it off and I'm still glad that I had it. You know, yeah. allowed me to get this advanced degree, which is helping yeah. me in my career.
1: It's tricky when it's that hard line. Usually personal finances, a lot of it depends on your situation, your goals. It's tough, but he takes that very hard stance. And yeah. same thing with, with credit cards. He's very much a <laughs> cut up your credit cards. You don't need credit. And even when um, there's been some back and forth on, hey, it builds up your credit. Dave's approaches. You don't need credit because you don't ever need to get into debt. So again, a very hard stance when there's a lot of perks to using some credit yeah. cards and there's a lot of protection that can come from it. Yeah. Uh, but I think, again, he's so used to his world of the people that call into him misuse credit cards. So I think he's yeah. just saying, I've seen enough bad behavior with it. I'm done with credit cards. So are you move on and pay
0: cash. Yeah, but, you know, to his credit, that hardline stance has probably helped out countless numbers of people. I think it has get in a better financial situation. Yeah. You know, but again, it's the hard line stance, no negotiation. There is no wiggle room where, you know, there's a lot of responsible people out there who can have credit cards and use credit cards wisely. And I just don't. I mean, I have a credit card. You have yeah, a credit card. I have a credit card. I pay it off every month. That'll carry yeah, balance. Same here. But yeah, the hard line stance. Under the Dave Ramsey world, we should not have credit cards at all.
1: Yeah, which doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah. But again, he's got some great stuff. He really helps with behavioral change, helps people get out of debt. It gets pretty bad when he starts talking about investing. And I think a big moral story is even with these big people that have these empires, celebrity he's a celebrity in our in our space of personal finance. Yeah. They're not experts on everything. And he's wildly off on some stuff, but on other things he's fantastic and a great go-to resource.
0: Yeah. yeah I agree. Well, that's all that we have for today. If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to reach out to us, leave a comment. And if you would like to learn more about us, we do operate a fiduciary financial advisory firm called Bull Oak Capital. Check us out if you want to learn more. Until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks.